Hello, language lovers, and welcome to another episode of Love, Joy, and Languages, a podcast about loving languages and finding joy in learning them. Today, I have a very special episode for you. This week, I sat down with Sarah Knight, who shares her story of moving from the U.S. to France at age 20 for an intense language immersion program. Before this move, Sarah was part of a host family for French students learning English, and seeing the success of their progress by living immersed in an English-speaking environment, she decided that this was the right path for her as well. But it wasn't always easy, and Sarah walks us through the various struggles she experienced during her immersion, some expected and some not. In this discussion, we talk about the concept of the immersion spectrum, how everyone's experiences and perspectives are different, and how leaning on the immersed or expat community of language learners can make a difference in the mental and emotional well-being of those of us living abroad. Sarah shares more of her personal story since emerging from the language program in France, including how she and her husband are raising their sons in three languages and why making this effort is so important to her. I had a wonderful time chatting with Sarah, and I'm really looking forward to sharing our discussion with you. So here we go. Welcome, Sarah, to Love, Joy, and Languages podcast. I am very excited to have you here talking about languages and immersion and all the fun stuff about your language journey. Thank you, Heidi. I'm happy to be here as well. And to all the listeners, I am so uh, thrilled to be part of this language learning community and can't wait to chat. So to get us started, tell us about yourself, where you're from, what languages you speak, um, and just introduce us a little bit to your language journey and what brings you here. So I, um, as you said, yeah, my name is Sarah, and I started really applying myself with languages when I was 20 years old, I would say. I was exposed to them earlier through classroom settings in middle school and high school. Um, I went to, I'm an American, so I went to middle school and high school in the U.S., And I dabbled a bit in French and Spanish, but um, it was never really my forte languages. I didn't have a really, I didn't have too difficult of a time with them, but at the same time, it wasn't sort of a natural ability, I would say. And so I didn't, I guess, see the direct application of languages in my life. And so maybe I just didn't put in the effort for that reason. Uh, I was involved with, you know, so many other activities and um, had, you know, quite a full day with sports and so forth. So I just kind of put it to the side. But I was always really drawn to uh, language learning. It kind of fascinated me, but at the same time, it sort of annoyed me that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't um, like a natural learner and just like excelling there. So I kind of just like put it off. Then our family started hosting exchange students at the end of my high school years and when I went to university. And those exchange students came to our home from France. And that's when my language journey, I would say, really took a turn. I love seeing my world change and our world change. And I loved seeing the impact that language learning had on those students who are coming to learn English. And their progress was incredible. They would come um, stay with us having different levels. But after one month, two months, three months, uh, you could just see all the progress they made. And it was so exciting. And I thought, well, if they can do it, why can't I? Maybe I've just been, you know, maybe there's another way. Maybe the classroom just isn't for me. And I should try immersion for myself. Your original story of school is so much like, I think, so many people in the U.S. that we may even be excited. I couldn't wait to start a language in school, but then when I get in the classroom, it's vocabulary and vocabulary and vocabulary and a little grammar, but never putting it into practice. And when we're saying things in classroom, it's just repeating. It's not utilized. And I was so disappointed. Like, I wanted to learn Spanish, and I wasn't. And it's so disappointing to have an experience of someone that you've met, that you've known, and you've seen their immersion work for them. And then be like, all right, that's going to be for me too. It's so exciting. Totally. And you know, Heidi, I feel like it, this, in the state system, um, if you don't live in a family where, you know, if you don't grow up in a multilingual environment or you don't mm-hmm. live in a community where you maybe see the direct application of that language right away, um, or you just don't have the exposure in terms of the amount of hours coming at you and so forth, or you're not in that environment it's, yeah, it's so hard sometimes to see your progress. And maybe I was making more than I thought mm-hmm. um, at the time, but I just, yeah, never spoke Spanish outside yeah. of the classroom or never tried to speak French. And it wasn't really until I saw the progress you can make or the impact on someone's actual daily life with the high schoolers coming to our family and the, like the, the bonds we forged and everything that came with the language. And I think that's really one of the most important you know, kind of aspects of language learning that, that I've come to realize 
it's beyond the language acquisition itself. There's so much more that you learn and take from the experience. And mm-hmm. I think it, mm-hmm. I, I arguably for me, it's maybe even been more valuable, even though of course the practical um, language ac- acquisition is what allows you to, you know, integrate into societies or what's allowed me to find meaningful work or, you know, what allowed me to meet my husband. And it's very practical, but there's so many more valuable lessons in language learning that I found. So for you, did you find lessons? I mean, you know, you find connection, you find culture, you find community, you find food and friendships, but did you find other things like discover other things about yourself that you've been able to work through because of language learning? Yeah, so much. I, I don't know if this will, if this will resonate with others, but to me, language immersion was so eye-opening. And when I say eye-opening, you know, that's eye-opening to the world and eye-opening to inward to myself. I also found it extremely humbling. Mm, definitely. I think it's a hard journey, especially if you have prolonged exposure and uh, maybe it's a factor of time as well. But for me, I did a really intensive full-time one-year program in France uh, when I moved from the U.S. when I was 20 to really get me started on this journey and see where it could go. And so it was extremely intense. And with that intensity came so much humility and it was so, Mm. so humbling. You know, I went through all the highs and lows, all those emotional roller coasters of, it was really the culture shock curve going from um, excitement to anger and frustration, going through different anxieties, going through different identity issues, coming out on the other side um, with acceptance. And I really went through it all. And I believe that that's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of my major takeaways from language learning is in everything that prepared me for it. I don't think maybe you can ever really be prepared, but when I was preparing myself as best as I could, so much focused around the, again, the language acquisition itself. Right. And I didn't find many resources about sort of everything outside of that. Yes. Yeah. And um, so going through it, you know, I saw my, I saw my classmates going through it who were in the immersion program as well, but it kind of just, there were some things that just went unspoken. I think we're all just so busy trying to do our thing, live our lives and have fun that we maybe just didn't talk about these um, awkward or difficult or unsettling, disorienting moments mm-hmm. as much. And um, I, yeah, I think it's a more common experience than uh, we maybe talk about or discuss openly. Mm-hmm. And it was certainly the case for me. Yeah. I don't know about all of, of United States culture, but generally speaking, where I'm from anyway, in Kentucky, we don't talk about our, our problems so much. You know, you might mention to someone that you're having some anxiety or something, but people don't talk deep about these things and more so now they do. But, you know, when I was in high school or college back in the early 2000s, we didn't talk about those things. It was like, it was an embarrassment if you're going through something like an emotional identity thing or or anxiety or something like that. And so I wonder how much that might've played into that culture too. Like, oh no, we're all okay. Let's just, let's just put on that happy face of showing that we're okay. Instead of making those connections that can help each other as a community come through this immersion process together. It did. I think you brought up an important point. So I am 34 years old. So I definitely did go through high school. I think I graduated in 2006. So yeah, it was before um, sort of that mentality shift and we have moved ahead, I think, since that time. Um, So it was probably a sign of the times. In some sense, and this is kind of the strange part. So I I went through a formal immersion program, but Mm -hmm. I'm still living in France. And now I've been here for 14 years. And I would still say I'm in immersion. I mean, I'm completely immersed in my, um, of course, at this point, I have high proficiency. But you know, you have your days where sometimes it rolls out, and it's Mm -hmm. smooth, and you're feeling great. And then you have other days where you're struggling to find a word or you forgot how to pronounce a verb tense or you, I don't know, you have those days too. And so even though I would say the, the intensity has waned over the years significantly, I still consider myself on, on a daily basis, you know, yeah, having an immersion experience to some degree. Mm-hmm. So let's go back. You said you moved to France when you were 20 as part of an immersive program, and you had studied some French in high school and college, middle school, high school, college. Yeah, I started in middle school. Um, I think I took a year or two beginning levels 
I was interested in it, like I said. And then I switched to Spanish because I thought, oh, maybe it'll be easier. Mm -hmm. French is really hard to pronounce. (laughs) And there's so many silent vowels and stuff. I just thought, oh, maybe I'll switch to Spanish. And I sort of came across the same hurdles, like wasn't naturally sticking with me. When I was in the classroom, things were there, but I found like, you know, two weeks later, I'd forget Mm -hmm. um, what I had learned a bit. And yeah, so then I just sort of thought, well, you know, maybe languages aren't my thing. And I just kind of put my focus elsewhere. And then once we had exchange students living with us and I saw the progress they were making, I was, you know, again, I was like kind of frustrated. Like why, why them and not me? Like, why shouldn't I believe in myself more or apply myself more and see this through? Because I really had an interest in living abroad, um, exploring other cultures. I just felt like there was something there for me calling. And so that's what I did. So in the summer, because I believe I was, yeah, I was working at the time and I was attending university. I signed up for like more intensive classes in French um, where I tried to really advance my level. And I started listening to podcasts in French or French radio. And I just started doing, I just started trying to immerse myself as much as I could. Like I'd be talking with our exchange students in the living room. And then once they would go to bed, I'd go down in my room and put on a podcast. (laughs) But again, that wasn't, I knew it wasn't serious enough for the level I wanted to attain for Mm -hmm. me. And I also felt like just like they had come into our home and learned so much about us in the U.S., and in and English through that experience, I wanted to do the same. I also was like convinced an immersion abroad experience would be best for me. So I actually took a leave of absence from my university. I had done two years already and was set to finish a bachelor's. And then I just thought, nope, like my life right now, I was daydreaming. I was daydreaming about living abroad. I wasn't concentrating in class. So unlike me, the pull was too strong. So mm-hmm. I went. Talk to me about your initial months or or year being in France, about any culture shock things that you experienced, but also language culture shock. Ooh, that so many memories are like flooding back. That is a really great question. I think the shocks are at many levels, Heidi, and they would come like some of them were predictable a bit. Like I could kind of see from living with our exchange students where my um, trouble areas in the language would be. So I think the language shocks were less of an issue because Mm -hmm. I kind of saw them coming and I knew as the studies advanced that I would really have to apply myself. And also I was a bit assured because I decided to do a full-time program Mm -hmm. where um, I think we started, like we started early in the morning, went all day. I had my lunch there, you know, uh, stopped around five or six at night. And I lived with a host family. So I forced myself to be in an environment where I had no escape. Like I could not speak English at night. I would be, you know, immersed in French during the day, immersed in French at home. That's so intense. Um, it's, it was so intense. So it completely, like, to me, I thought, okay, that process is reassuring. Like maybe that process will save me. I'll have some safeguards there that'll kind of keep me moving forward. Even though I struggle and bounce off the sides, it'll kind of keep me moving. I think what really struck me was the emotional side. Mm -hmm. So I have always had kind of a happy um, demeanor. I have traveled a bit um, before and loved it and wasn't intimidated by um, some of the aspects of traveling and was really excited to live abroad. And I think it was going really, really well the first month or two. And then I think the hardest thing for me was when I couldn't express myself like I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I, here I was, you know, an adult, a young adult, but an adult, nevertheless, having lived my own, you know, 20 years of my own experience, have, have things to say, have, you know, opinions that I want shared thoughts. I want shared expressions. I want shared feelings. I want shared. I want to be able to, you know, show people my personality, show people who I am because I knew who I was at that stage or I thought I did. And I couldn't, Yeah, I didn't have the words I didn't have, I was building relationships, but I couldn't tell people how much I, you know, cared about them or I was going through things and I couldn't describe what I was feeling. I just didn't, I wasn't there with my language level. And I think that gap, that's what bothered me is I was living such an intense life in my head. There was so much inner dialogue and my French wasn't there yet. And it just wasn't coming out. And I just felt really frustrated. I know for me, when we moved to Italy, there was a period where I'm learning the language, you know, and for me, it was like this unspoken year. Like once I get to a year, somehow people started expecting me to say more and do more. And I hadn't put in the work in that year because I had other things going on. And so then there was that frustration that I'm not able to express myself, like you said, but then that also started leading to a little bit of 
questioning my identity because I can't let other people know what I'm thinking and feeling and, and my opinions about these things that I'm, I'm really smart in my native language. And I can't even show you that I'm, that I'm intelligent, that I have something of value to say. And it, it was a lonely place that I didn't expect to be because I still had friends. I still had friends who spoke English and I had friends who I could communicate with daily in Italian, but these people, except for like maybe one person, they didn't know me, not like my family knows me or my friends, you know, who spoke English for years know me. And it it was a lonely, like identity place that I didn't expect to be whenever I got there. Lonely is a good word to describe it. And I would go even a step further, use a different word too. I think it was very um, isolating even though kind of to your point, I felt like I was surrounded constantly by people. I wasn't Mm -hmm. alone physically much. Yes. But even though I wasn't physically alone, I felt emotionally isolated Mm -hmm. in that sense. And I also had sort of a physical manifestation because when you have something to say and it's built up and you're trying to express yourself, I kind of felt like this energy rising from my lower body, you know, coming up, coming up to my mouth, to my tongue and not being, you know, I couldn't express myself. Mm, So I found myself getting, yeah, feeling, having this like pent up frustrated energy that I hadn't really dealt with before. And it needs, you know, I needed a physical release. So I was like, I was walking all the time. I would go on these long, long walks and that would help. That's how I kind of got through those moments. I didn't know what else to do. So I walked. I can feel exactly the description you give of the feeling coming from down below and coming up and then nothing comes out of your mouth. I have never put that into words, but I felt that exact same thing. And I still do over and over where like I'm listening to conversation or, or the teacher's telling me something. I have a response, but it doesn't come out. It doesn't come out in the language. And then I have the thoughts in my head, but now they're not even formulating themselves in English let alone Italian. It's all there, but I can't even formulate the thought. Then I have young children who are constantly taking my attention away from these thoughts I'm trying to produce. It's it's this frustration. It's just boiling and boiling and that energy needs to go somewhere. I feel this, that. Okay. Now you're bringing up a memory. Okay. I called this limbo. It was exactly that moment between the two languages or between three, however many. I had the two going on in my head. And when I got to the point of actually functioning more in French, I had suppressed so much of my English and my American identity, and I I was just all in with French. It started flowing more. I think this was like halfway in. It started really flowing. I was dreaming in French, which gave me like a huge boost of confidence. Like, ooh, I was like, oh, that was so cool. That's the pinnacle right there. Yeah, that was, oh, I loved that. Um, So unexpected and just like the boost of confidence I needed at the moment. And so things were rolling. And during the day, like in France, my, my daily life in France was picking up and I could express myself more. So I was starting to feel better about that. But then I called my friends and family from back home. And on the phone, I was in this limbo a few times. And one of the times I remember I could not speak English with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I bawled. I actually cried when I got off the phone with her. Um, I was so like frustrated. And I didn't have the words. And I said like, I'm sorry, mom. And I just had to like hang up. And I remember crying and being like, what was that? Wow. Uh, and I, it was weird because yeah, I couldn't find my way out of it. It was strange. I just had to like take a break, put down the phone mm-hmm. and um, have a moment. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting because like I said, you were living so immersed in, in French and that was your goal was I'm living my life in French right now to learn it, to make the connections, to make this my life for however long you had intended to do it from the beginning, but then ignoring the English or, or just not making it part of your daily life for so long actually affected you to a point where when you needed it, it wasn't there. That has to be very frustrating. And that's a language shock that I don't think anyone would expect to happen. Like you just expect your native language to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. And going back, you did ask about what language shocks. So exactly. That's when I could not have limbo. I did not predict, but over time it got better. And that's kind of a message. I think I'd want to get out there too, is in the moment, it was the heat of the moment. Every emotion I felt felt really intense in the moment. The the lows were low and the highs were, you know, high, like the confidence I would feel when I, when I, you know, landed a phrase or when we, I had a conversation and we both understood each other, it was like, I'd walk away like, yes. And over time though, I think the emotions just regulated more. So like 
the lows got easier and the highs were less pronounced. It was just mm -hmm. more like, this is my life. Um, I'm able to flow between them. Limbo sometimes happens for me, but not to that extreme. It's just like a second where I kind of need to find my way. And if I can tell that I'm not going to land what I want to say in either language, I just, I know what to do. I know to like switch in my mind, just like, okay, find a different phrase. Like don't get fixed on that one. Just find a different way to say what you want to say. And then it comes out. I don't know if that's happened to you, but like I found ways now to kind of make it through those moments. That's something that I hear over and over about learning your target language is, you know, especially in the beginning when you just don't have the vocabulary and even at the intermediate level, when you don't have the vocabulary to find a way to explain it, use gestures or use other words, use opposite, say not that, but this, and those are good things that you can do to work around a conversation in your target language. But how often do we talk about using that in your native language too? Because while you don't lose your native language necessarily, I mean, maybe some people do I've, I've heard stories of it happening, but in general, it doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean you're always going to find the words or the phrases you want. And so being able to take what you learn from language learning and now apply that to your native language and your native communications is also something that is normal and useful for being able to navigate conversations, no matter what language is going on in your head. You have just discussed a whole nother layer. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, complete, that's really deep. Heidi. Of course. Yeah. I totally hear you there. I feel like my, uh, I feel like I can express myself better in English now than I could before. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily that, well, probably my level has overall increased. I think as we go through time, yeah, I've read more books. I've, I mean, of course, yeah, my level has probably increased, but I feel like I don't stutter or have difficulty expressing what I want to say, because I've I've taken the tools that I learned in trying to do that with French. I've applied it to English now. And yeah, I just have more of an ease. I would say less anxiety about speaking in my mother tongue for sure. Yes. I experienced that anxiety relatively often because my husband hasn't been learning Italian or German while we've been living here. His life is completely in English. He works around English speakers and, and that's just his life, you know, from nine to five or sometimes a lot more. And then at home we speak English. So when I can't think of a word, like with my kids, I can insert the Italian or the German word and they're like, okay, like we got it. We can just continue conversation with no problem. But if I can't find a word with him, I can't just say one of those and he understands. So sometimes I just sit there dumbfounded, like this is an easy word. I can't think of it in English. And he just stares at me like, are you okay? What, what's going on? Can you just spit it out? I'm like, no, I can't. My brain is, it's just, it's shut off. My brain doesn't have any idea what it's doing. So and I still have those moments of freeze in my native language. I still like freeze of, I can't think of it. And so <laughs> it just, that is stuttered. a great way. I like, I like that word that describes it perfectly. Freeze. I'm married to a Frenchman and our common language. He speaks English too, but I would say our love language, like how we started our relationship was in French and we just, it's more natural for us. Mm -hmm. And that's what we speak every day. And we have freeze moments, I would say on a maybe on a weekly basis, I still freeze. So when throughout your process of immersion, is there any defining moment when you really started to feel like I'm here, I'm getting it. You mentioned a few minutes ago that just kind of worked itself out, but were there any moments where you're like, I'm doing this and this is working and it's good. Yeah, it was, it was nine months in my program was nine months. And it was really at the end, kind of when I got the certificate and completed the program there was more of an ease about my daily life. There was an energy that I had that halfway through really wasn't there. Cause I was, um, yeah, I was just so drained from the intensity of immersion, but I got my energy back and I felt like I was ready for the next step, which was intense also, which was to, I, I decided I wanted to live and work abroad, that this was the path. Um, this was indeed the path that I, that I was meant to be on. And mm -hmm and to embrace the, the next step. So yeah, for me, it was nine months in again, I had a very, very intense program. And I think what helped me was knowing it was that I didn't have that escape. And I know that's so intense. So it's not for everyone, but I set up those guardrails of, I lived with close families. And I think that's what made the whole thing work in the end, really, that I um, just progressed so quickly in order to, to move on to the next stage. Because at the end of the day, language acquisition or learning French was not, it was a means to an end. My ultimate mm -hmm. goal was to um, live and work in the Alps, France or Switzerland. And, and so I was able to take that move next. 
but yeah, I would really recommend that's a whole nother topic, but a uh, host family is there are some, you know, kind of pitfalls to avoid there and some kind of things to watch out. There can be some red flags that you want to make sure you spot when you go down that road. But um, overall, I had a great experience living with host families. I like that you say that, you know, it's not for everyone because one, it may be a personality thing two, it may be a visa thing or a financial thing that not everyone can or desires to go and live immersed, but I still coming into languages when I was 33 years old, when we moved to Italy, because of people like you who had this experience, you've talked about it and how wonderful it was. I expected, and I talked about this in last week's episode, I expected that my language learning was going to be like this because moving to the country means immersion. And that could not be further from the truth to really live immersed. You have to set your own boundaries and your own restrictions and your own reprieve from the stress and the loneliness and all the other things we talked about. But I didn't do that. I was like, I'm moving to Italy. I'm learning the language not having any idea what an expat bubble was or considering that we speak English in our home. And while we're acquiring the language, there's going to be some time when we can't just do Italian. And, uh, and those expectations made it really difficult for me. So acknowledging that this was my experience and it worked because of these things is so important. So other people don't necessarily think, oh, but she did it. So this is what my experience is going to be like, because they're all unique. And it really depends on each individual person's learning style and personality and desires and goals. Like all of it makes such a difference. Each journey is so unique. And I, yeah, you're really right to like take a pause and emphasize that point. And I want to take a moment to do it again. I had this weird exposure through having host students stay with us to understand like how impactful that can be when you're, when you live with people and just, just going through daily life with someone in another language. I saw the level that the students would come with, and that was from classroom learning. I would see how quickly they would advance just from sharing meals with us, you know, getting up in the morning, going out, doing the groceries, you know, just daily life. And I think, yeah, that weird, um, window of exposure I had, I think that's what convinced me that that was probably what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. So I I do have to recognize that. And I do, I really do want to emphasize the intensity of the full-time immersion program. It was relentless. Um, Of course, you can always opt out. Of course, I could have always stopped and and gone back home, I suppose, and so forth. But I just want to, seeing it through, I just, I really do want to underline that point. It it required persistence to a level (laughs) that um, was, yeah, really high that I probably had never done before. Yeah. And even if that's not for someone, or even if someone does try that and says, this isn't for me and I need to take a break, that's okay. Because like everyone's mental health along their whole experience is so important. And that's something that I didn't realize either was that in giving yourself to immersion, and I didn't have an experience like yours, but in giving yourself to this experience, you are putting other parts of yourself aside, your ability to express yourself, your ability to think in full sentences in any language and, and making deep friendships. If you're only focusing on one language, you're more limited with the people who are going to want to be able to communicate with you. And if that's not for you, that's okay. Because there's so many other ways for it to be possible or I don't know, I would call mine probably a more partial immersion experience because like I said, we had our expat bubble and then we had our Italian bubble. And so it's partial immersion and partial not, even if it's not for you, or even if someone does try that, it's, it's okay. It's not a failure. It's an experience that everyone can learn from. Totally. And depending on what our um, goal is or where life has brought us, immersion will mean different things. There's always a spectrum. Actually, I've learned so much with language learning. Everything's on a spectrum and all of it is immersion. All of it is language learning. Mm-hmm. And it just, and it can move and it can move depending on where you are at the moment um, and where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. But what I do believe is intrinsic to immersion are some common themes, no matter where you are kind of along the spectrum, either you'll experience some of these common themes to a greater or less intensity, or you'll at least be exposed to them or have some awareness that they're part of the process. I do think there are some qualities and characteristics there that kind of come with immersion, at least Mm -hmm. prolonged, whether Mm -hmm. it's 
partial or full. Um, but yeah, then after that, everyone's journey is so, so personal and so unique. Yes. I like this idea of a spectrum. I agree. Like it's not black and white. It's not this step, this step, this step. It's not this level or that level. There's a spectrum there, even language levels being at a B1 versus B2. Like there's a spectrum of this whole before you reach the next level. And I really like that idea, especially when it comes to immersion, because people talk a lot about how you can create an immersive experience at home, especially during lockdown and COVID times when we can't really travel. How can you create this immersive experience at home? And I love that idea. And that's on one side of the spectrum is creating it in your own environment, doing podcasts and TV and and language exchanges and sticky notes around your house or whatever. And then there's the partial immersion that I talked about that I feel like my experience has been where I'm getting the natural exposure and then I'm taking in things that I wouldn't get if I created this in my house, like just walking through the market and seeing the names of foods labeled. I don't have to sit and study food vocabulary. It's right there at the market. I can just go. And then you realize, oh, I've seen that word several times. I know what that is. At home, you can't recreate that necessarily. You have to find the words and then apply them to, to something. And then there's your experience of full real immersion where it's all French all day. Completely. I, the immersion definitely has a spectrum and you brought us through it. Like you brought us through all the levels. That's beautiful. And, you know, getting into language immersion and like looking at the definition of immersion, if ever you look up the definition, even like comparing several different dictionaries just doesn't do it justice. You know, it's so, um, I think immersion is Mm multidimensional, very, it's a spectrum and it's multidimensional and there are, there's no academic definition that I've seen that kind of encapsulates it. The academic definition focuses much on, um, from the teacher's perspective, like the learning method of exclusive use of a language, whether it's for a minute, an hour, a day, or a month. Um, But that's, you know, a very narrow kind of view. Yes. And as learners, we're not doing ourselves any favor by just focusing on those definitions because then you feel like, well, I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that. It's the same with fluency. At what level do you consider yourself fluent? It's different for everyone. And for me, and I know for so many others, like the goal is fluency. I'm going to move to Italy and I'm going to be fluent. Well, what does that mean? I can communicate in these situations clearly. I still stumble over my words. Well, does that mean I'm not fluent? You know, I still do that in my native language. So no. And and so getting away from that, what I had thought was fluency means you're just speaking it all the time in every situation with no problems. That's not fair to to a language learner to think that you're definitely not doing yourself any favors. Um, So even thinking of the definition of immersion, the definition of fluency, and that that's on the spectrum and it's subjective to what each individual person thinks and experiences. I I may be focusing on language immersion abroad just because that is my experience. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to, um, yeah, I'm trying to base it from what I've lived, but yeah, I hope if you take anything away from this, any of the listeners, it's that immersion is such a broad concept and it's so multidimensional and has so many layers and you can do it in the comfort of your home. Let's say you can do it in um, a classroom setting, the walls of a classroom. You can do it within the borders of your own country. Or you can go broad. <laughs> so going back to your immersion experience, actually, I want to go back to something you said earlier. In case any of our listeners are thinking about doing this or are currently in the situation of immersion with host families, you mentioned that there are some red flags that you can look for, for getting a successful host family or maybe a not so successful host family. Can you mention some of those red flags to any of our listeners who are thinking about looking into this process? From my experience in France, so I, of course, had the exposure of hosting ourselves. So we would take in our distinguished guests, our wonderful new family members, and um, we really operated on the golden rule. We um, expect the same level of respect that we give you, and we want to respect your privacy. Yeah, we, we want to make sure we attend to all of your immediate needs above and beyond your basic, you know, needs, um, your emotional needs and what you're going through and support you through your journey. And, you know, to the other extreme, it's, yeah, really encouraging you and creating a thriving environment. And luckily we were able to do that. So I, I don't want to say I had high expectations. Um, it's not that, but I just expected the same in return. I didn't expect, you know, all of their time, every waking moment, but I did expect respect. And I would say, a certain level of welcoming and -hmm. just acceptance in the home. And then I would say some support or encouragement. The first family I found, I was placed um, with them. Those three areas were not covered. Unfortunately, when I arrived to the home, 
after having chatted with them before going abroad. So I was really actually excited about um, living with this family. But unfortunately, when I arrived, I found my room was um, not like integrated in the house. It was kind of separate in mm. the garage, mm-hmm. which could have worked out okay. But I think it was really the next part that put me off is I wasn't allowed to cook, you know, like be in the kitchen when they were having their dinners. I was supposed to eat around their schedule. Mm. I was supposed to use the bathroom and shower around their schedule. So I received like a paper with, you know, when their family uses the bathroom areas, when their family is eating and, you know, I need to adapt and work around it. And I was so looking forward to connection. And I put, like I said, my experience was so intense and I would be surrounded by these people every day that I just, I wanted to feel that warmth. I wanted to feel that comfort and I wanted to feel welcomed. Mm -hmm. And so when I didn't, for me, that was a red flag. That was immediately like, this is not going to be good for my mental health. I, right. I, it was kind of a mental health flag. It was like this for my wellness. I think this is, could jeopardize things. After about, I think it was like a week and a half into it. I was like, okay, no, this has to stop. So I, I worked it out with the, with the university to change families. And I let them know why I didn't think it was a good match and why mm-hmm. I was leaving. And I was very honest about it so that maybe they would find it constructive. I tried to be constructive. So maybe that might see question, you know, how they were, how they were doing their immersion, but on another side of the token, another side of the same coin, that might be a great setting for someone, someone who doesn't want that proximity in that um, closeness or doesn't, you know, wants to do their own thing, has jobs on the side or, or just doesn't want that level of intensity with a family, Mm -hmm. then that could be great for them. I think it's important to know what you expect from the family or what you're looking for. If you know that your mental health or your well-being might be in jeopardy because of the setting, just right. get out from the start because there are other options. It was it was easy for me to switch and find another mm-hmm. family. I think it took a week or so. Um, and then the next family, it was wonderful because I, I had expressed to the university, I think, a little bit better what I was looking for. And the, the next family worked out really, really well. Kind of do have a think about what what you want from the experience ahead of mm-hmm. time. And I think that helps. That's really good advice. I can imagine 20 year old me going overseas being like, well, I'm going to go to France and I'm going to live there and my family's going to love me and <laughs> they're going to want to talk to me all the time and, and also respect my boundaries when I need space. But I can also see me not expressing those boundaries and those desires and the things that I want. So knowing what you want and expressing that to be able to make the best match for both families and students is excellent advice. Yeah, to be fair, I didn't express it. I just sort of, I guess I assumed like that's how it worked in our home. So mm-hmm. here I come. Like, <laughs> Or I could see myself yeah. too being like, well, I'm just going to go there. And what's most important is that I'm living there and going to the school and learning the language. Like that's most important. So all the other things don't matter. But everything about your immersive experience feeds into how you view it in the end and what success you have too. So even being short-sighted and thinking, well, the goal is to learn the language. So that's just what I'm going to focus on without being able to take care of your own emotional and mental state too, could be something that holds you back instead of supports you moving forward. Completely. I have found in my experience, your environment will either propel you or hinder Mm -hmm. your learning. Mm -hmm. And I would say red flags is when you feel like there's a void or something's going to hinder you from excelling mm-hmm. or it could affect your well-being and overall mental health, then take matters into your own hands. Because that's the other thing is um, there's so much going on. I don't think univers- at least the university I was in, they won't really, unless you express yourself, unless you say it, no one's going to know that that's how right. you feel. And so you really have to take the matters into your own hands and just speak with the right competent people to get you in a new situation. Yeah. So let's talk about after your school immersion, you said it was a nine, nine month course, and then you've stayed in France ever since, right? So did you end up continuing with university? Did you get a job? What has your life looked like post immersion program? Yeah, I've had sort of a, not really a straightforward path in France. It's been a bit windy. So after my immersion, I um, finished, I had done two years of university before immersion in the U.S., And I wanted to finish that degree. So I actually found a university in Switzerland, um, moved to Geneva and finished, transferred some of my credits, um, made up for the ones I couldn't, and then completed two more years to be able to get a degree. 
so I actually was living in Geneva, Switzerland, um, but Francophone um, region of Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And so that worked perfectly. I was able to apply my immersion experience right away, keep up the language, um, started studying in most of my studies weren't English. So I got to like rediscover that part of my identity that I had sort of suppressed. And it was just a great next step. Then I had the fortune of when I finished um, my program, I landed a job with the UN. So I worked for the United Nations and um, I've been there now for over a decade and I work in refugee resettlement, which was oh, wow. sort of a passion. Um, yeah. One, uh, an area that I was really passionate about. And so I was able to effectively, I thought my life would have been in France because that's where you speak French, but right. in fact, um, in the Francophone speaking area of Switzerland, I was able to create a life that blended the language element, the language part that I had learned in, in, in France, but then had worked out for my career as well. And so, yeah, I thought I was going to be in Geneva, Switzerland for as long as I could. <laughs> and then I met my husband in Geneva mm-hmm. who, who works in a public school and he's French. Once we decided, um, yeah, to move in and find a home together, we found one on the French side of the border rather than, than in Switzerland itself. So we're like what they call transfrontalier. So we cross the border mm-hmm. every okay. day when we go to work. So your husband's French and you all have two children, two young children. So let's transition into that real quick to tell us about if you've already started introducing both French and English to your kids, what you think that might look like or what you're, you're planning to do, or just, just wing it in the future for your kids' <laughs> languages. There's always an element of winging it, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, yeah, we have two boys and the firstborn, our son Owen is almost three. And he'll be, that means he'll be starting uh, French school mm-hmm. uh, in September. So I just signed him up. So that was exciting. And then uh, I have a newborn who's three months old. His name is Max. And what we've decided to do is also a bit intense, but it's worked for us so far is, so I speak English with our first son, Owen. And I guess my experience, I'm going to be talking, um, it'll be about our nearly three-year-old. So with Owen, I speak English every day. He hears me speak French with my husband, mm-hmm. but I, I try to speak mostly English with him. And I would say apart from just sentences or phrases every once in a while, I've really, we've stuck with it. Um, my husband speaks actually German as well. He grew up in an area of France uh, in Moselle where the proximity with Germany makes it that um, many of them speak German fluently. Mm-hmm. So um, he decided to apply his German skills and speak exclusively in German with our son. Mm-hmm. And then our son learns French from the nanny he's with. Um, so through daycare, mm-hmm. through the children that are at the daycare, and then through hearing my husband and I speak French. Of course. And so, yeah, he functions in the three languages on a daily basis. So this is, we could have an entire other episode about just that, of what you all have, have discovered. <laughs> and maybe in the future we will, as your younger one yeah. starts to talk too, and, and uh, your older one gets older. But have you, have you personally, um, and this question is coming out of nowhere, but have you found struggles yourself to speak English with your son when you and your husband generally communicate in French, you're living this French speaking life, and then to speak to your son, you know, who's also an extension of you in English, do you find struggles with that or any sort of personal identity issues in managing that daily? Well, yeah, I'm on maternity leave now, but um, on a daily basis, I would say I use more English in my working environment than I do French, uh, just because of the nature of our work. It's so global that I feel like we conduct business, let's say, right. mostly in English. But yeah, sometimes I apply my French skills with my colleagues and then with certain UN missions in Francophone speaking regions. But I would say... It's mostly been, I have to say, it's mostly been a pleasant experience and it's been really nice for me because it's, I use French with my husband all the time and I'm constantly immersed in a Francophone speaking environment, whether it's, it's Switzerland, which has its own particularities from France or whether it's here where our home is. And I find speaking English with my son is so comforting. I feel like I'm, I'm sharing a piece of myself that he, he doesn't know, like children think that when they're born they won't comprehend my life before that I had a life before. It's like, it's like I almost came with them when they were born and I just appeared, you know? And so um, I'm able to share a piece of myself and my home. And honestly, it feels like a warm hug. 
I, I would love to say that it's been hard, but it, it hasn't. It's actually been, I think, extremely healing. I think that is absolutely beautiful because I come from a place where, you know, I didn't learn languages when I was younger. And when I was 33, I came here. I was a graduate student. I already had kids and it was challenging, but it's still a goal. Like speaking another language to me is a dream. Like living my life in Italian or German is a dream. It's, it's, it's almost like a jealousy thing that other people can already do that and live their lives that way. And for me, like I, I have obviously connections to English. It was my only language for 33 years, but I also kind of like, I don't like the sound of it. I don't want to speak it. Like everybody speaks it. I want to be different. You know, there's a lot of negative associated with the language for me, but to hear someone say, no, that that's, that's a comfort. And I'm sharing a part of my past because my kids were one in four when we moved overseas, they have ah, some so US young. experience, but not, yeah. you know, they have English speaking friends and, and are like, again, expat bubble, but it's not the same. And even if we were to move back to the States, they wouldn't grow up in the way I did in the area I did. So yeah. it's still something different. That's a part of me that I think I've been overlooking and sharing that with them. I've been overlooking the value in sharing my cultural history with them. And I've only been focusing on what I wish I'd had for them instead. And I really like your perspective. I appreciate that a lot because I think that brings something to me that I haven't considered before that I could probably spend some more time thinking about and thinking about what I'm, what I'm wishing I could give up in order to just speak another language. I don't think I've been, I've put enough value on my own history and my family's history in order to share that with my kids. So yeah, that's really insightful. That's beautiful to recognize too. And if I, if I'm going to be even more honest outside of myself and my motivations for speaking English with my children, there's all, there's a bit of a, a heartbreaking element. It's that my, my parents, so his grandparents, they only speak English. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, if it's not me who teaches him English, who will, and how will he communicate with his grandparents? Right. And it's too much to bear. It's, it would be too heartbreaking for me to see that relationship deteriorate because I some days wanted an easier way mm-hmm. or I some days wanted, yeah, maybe things to be a bit easier. So I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine not instilling the language to him and explaining where we're from. Um, for that reason, because if my parents, when they do come, if I saw that he, you know, could easily speak with us, and then there was a, a clear barrier with the only language that they share in common, it would break my heart. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is the case for some families, and I think that's a really hard, hard thing to deal with—a hard part of living abroad and a hard part about how your life evolves mm-hmm. when you evolve in another language is those who are, I don't want to say that you've left behind because you haven't left them behind, but those who aren't in your journey and who mm-hmm. aren't wrapped up in it and who didn't acquire those language skills with you along the way. And I don't ever want to forget that it was my parents who supported me, emotionally allowed me to leave with a peace of mind and not feeling you know, guilty about mm-hmm. living abroad so I, I feel like I have to, I feel like I, I want to, but I also feel like it's, I, it's like a duty. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's interesting. Cause I feel like giving my kids the opportunity to go to the local schools in Italy and Germany, like to me, that's my gift to them is giving them the opportunity to be bilingual or multilingual. And for you, it's the same thing, but a different perspective. You're giving them the gift of your native language, of your history and of your family. And I, oh my gosh, I just love that. (laughs) It's so beautiful. And it's something too, that it, it brings up another topic of immersion, immersion when you have children. There's a loss of familial support that maybe you could have were you to live close to your family back home. Like it's not just the language you lose all of that immediate connection. And for me, I still have a relationship with my parents and my kids do to an extent, but not like they would if we lived close. And so exactly having that language connection, it is the most important link to keeping that exactly. connection. If it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for being able to pick up the phone and saying, hi, grandpa, they would see each other few and far between. And mm-hmm. it's just <laughs> incomprehensible to me. So do you get to travel back and see your family often or do they get to come travel? I mean, aside from COVID, do you, do you all get to see each other? Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I feel like so much has changed. Um, there was sort of a rhythm before COVID that would be about every year or two years. Um, I would say they would come and see me more often because sort of a side piece to this discussion is I have two younger sisters who mm-hmm. um, 
decided also after high school to move abroad. Because all three of us were in Europe, it was easier for my parents, who are two, to come see us. Mm -hmm. We're all three kind of living these kind of busy, hectic lives in these different cities, kind of establishing ourselves. So it was easier for them to come. Um, So I didn't make it back as often as I would have liked to, to see old, you know, friends and to see family. And then, you know, COVID was COVID. And of course, yeah, we didn't do traveling. And then afterwards, um, I've also had two sons. And so traveling is complicated too with newborns, not only just with newborns, but paper-wise. So the whole element, we, we, you know, visa formalities and all of that is um, just a whole different element to all of this. But Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a certain time it takes when you're abroad and stuff to get all your paperwork together. And yeah, that can cause some travel delays. And so do you get to see your sisters often? Yeah, we do. We've kept close. Um, We have, we've kind of been through the ups and downs together. I feel like we've, yeah, we've just been through such similar experiences, even though they've all played out very differently Mm -hmm. that we could really kind of support each other and be there for each other and know what it's like. Like sometimes when our family back home doesn't understand what we've gone through, or maybe our old friends or like, you know, if you just haven't been through it, it's just really hard to maybe kind of comprehend. And I just feel like they're always there, you know, they can relate. And this is something that I, I really love about the language community and, and kind of one of the purposes of this podcast is to, to show each other that we aren't alone. Like there's immersive yep. students out there right now who are beginning their immersive experience, who probably have no one else who's gone through it, no one they know, and they're experiencing these things for the first time. And they probably feel like I'm the only one who's going through this. I'm the only one who's had to go through this. How is everyone else adjusting so much better than me? And any chance I have to show other people, like, no, there's other people who have done it and you can reach out or find support or find community, like just go on Instagram and throw in a hashtag and you'll find community members who are talking about their experiences. It's one small thing to try to make the language world or the expat world less lonely and less I don't remember what word you used besides lonely. Isolating. Yeah. Less isolating because there are other people who've done it and you can talk and they'll totally understand everything you're saying. Yeah. And I, I was just sort of busy with life, I guess is the best way to describe it. Like so focused on my goals and so busy that I forgot about that community and I didn't become part of it and didn't reach out to all of you. Like I'm wanting to do now. And it was through COVID where we all got to take like a step back from the life we had before, which Mm -hmm. mine happened to be quite a hectic one. And I got time to like thinking about, you know, rediscovering some of my passions or rediscovering some, I had a longing, I think, to connect with the language community because I knew my experience um, was not unique and there were others out there. And I just never took the time to make the bridge before really. You know, I had my sisters and I'd chat with them and so forth. And like you said, like when I went on my journey, like social media wasn't a thing. Like you could find bloggers. Like I I remember finding a few bloggers, like that was so cool. And I would read their articles. I'd be like, wow, I'm not alone. But yeah, it's different now. It's, it's more accessible in a way. And the community can, um, you can see, you know, the momentum is there. And um, so it's exciting. So yeah, I decided like, I want to spend the next, you know, foreseeable future learning from other people and hearing more about the diversity of these journeys and contributing any way I can. Absolutely. Tell me then where people can find you online and find the work that you're doing to try to make connections with the immersive community in particular, but the language community in general. Yeah. So for now I have an Instagram account called language immersion abroad. It's all one word. And kind of like we said in this chat, I, I draw from my experience a bit. I do, but I try to not make it really personal. And I try to bring in others to share their experience around common themes of immersion. Mm -hmm. So please don't um, just think it's for those who are having this full-time kind of immersion program abroad. It's really just trying to share more ideas and knowledge and um, connect with people around the idea of Mm -hmm. immersion itself. Strengthening all (laughs) levels of the, the immersion spectrum. Exactly. Um, so that's where I'm now. And I, yeah, I hope to be out there, um, be doing some more podcasts. And uh, what I'm working on personally is I'm trying to kind of write down um, and go, I'm going through drafting of many of these aspects and elements that we've talked on the on today's podcast. 
And the idea is I'd like some type of a guidebook to come into form. Mm-hmm. Again, something I want to take this very personal, unique experience and I want to draw out the universal elements of it. And I want to put some of those common themes down um, and explain the spectrum of it. And so that mm-hmm. people can identify people who identify with those common themes might find some solace along their journey. And um, it's really sort of, it might be kind of a guide that I wish I had come across like before I went on the trip. And uh, so, yeah, we'll see what kind of shape it takes. It's more in draft form now, but I think it will come into the world. That sounds really beneficial. I say so often, like, I just wish, I wish I'd found the language learning community earlier and the expat community earlier. So I could have reached out and gained something from other people's experiences. Cause for so long, it's just that I'm alone. I'm like the only person going through this. Cause even other expats I know aren't viewing this in the same way as I am. And we're not talking about those things. It feels like that. It is real. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how it feels and that's how it is. And it's hard. Like when life, life gets busy and when life gets busy, it's sometimes hard to find the time to connect. And I think connecting Mm -hmm. is probably the most beautiful, impactful way is talking to someone. That's probably where you can get the most helpful information. But, um, you know, if you um, have quiet moments, like really late at night, or if you're traveling on a plane, or you just don't have the time to get in touch and hear um, many people's stories, then maybe sort of some quick tips and guidance and sort of just raising kind of aspects and elements of Mm -hmm. immersion might be helpful. Um, One of the, I think the best way kind of just describe how I see this guide is just immersion is so multidimensional and I kind of want to take people through those dimensions. Yeah. I love that. Are there any other accounts you follow or books or resources or podcasts that you listen to that also tries to sum up this immersion experience Uh, as their own guides, any other immersion resources that you've discovered that you connect with? Oh my gosh, this is my journey at the moment. So I'm having so much fun going on Instagram and discovering people's accounts and going through. And as I'm doing the work for this, um, what might be this guidebook, like looking and researching, this is my life right now while I'm on maternity leave. So I can't say like, I don't feel like I have um, a good like lay of the land yet to like Mm -hmm recommend. I feel like if you look at my account, like so many people I follow um, and so many people I've chatted with, I'm just inspired by them. I love this community. I'm so new to it. Um, But I, yeah, every day I'm just eager to discover. So at the moment I would say, no, nothing exclusive or particular. I myself am diving in. (laughs) Yes. So for any listeners who want go to language immersion abroad on Instagram, find all of her people that she follows and follow her stories too. Cause I know you share a lot of things there as well about your own experience and other quotes and stuff that, that get you right now. I, I, I love hearing from people and their stories. And there's a, there's a small space on the Instagram to do that. It's called um, speak up series. And if anyone has a story to tell anywhere along the spectrum, just reach out. And I think in any format, we can talk about that, whether it's written or video or however, I'm really not stuck on form. My, my like motto is kind of like, I'm stubborn on the vision, but I'm super flexible on the details. (laughs) Yes. Just tell your story. That's the important part. Yep. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. This This is probably my first talk with someone about immersion or expat experiences, you put words to things that I've experienced that I couldn't put words to myself. And it's beneficial for me. I know so many other of our listeners are going to get something out of this. And um, I'm excited to see where this goes, where, where you grow the community as well, and where you're helping people. It's such an honor to talk to you. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thanks, Heidi. I feel, I feel the same way. So over the chat, you've also revealed some gems to me. And since it's your podcast and you're more in the driver's seat, um, I didn't want to, you know, like take up some of the time and, and turn the questions around to you, but I could have done that. So if we ever have a chat another day, I think I would really love to learn more about your journey. It sounds equally fascinating. I am so glad to have had this conversation with Sarah. As you can tell from the conversation, the two of us have had two very different immersion experiences. Hers was a language immersion program when she was younger, without kids and family and other obligations. And mine was just through moving to the country while I had kids and family and other obligations. But we both experienced so many of the same things, some of the same emotions and feelings and thoughts and struggles. And I'm so appreciative of Sarah for sharing her story. 
It's important for us to see other people's experiences, struggles, and how they've come through it as well. Like we said, you can feel so much less alone by realizing that other people have gone and are going through the same things you are. Maybe it's not exactly the same. Maybe we have different levels of support or different communities within our immersed community. But any of the struggles we have, there's definitely someone out there who will understand. So don't be afraid to reach out and find your own support within the language learning community. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And until next time, ciao.